of them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Very clear message to the fact that our faith is to be transmitted from one generation to another and the primary responsibility for that transmission is the parents. Now the church is an assistant to that but the primary responsibility I believe that God has given for the spiritual discipleship of children is the mom and dad. I had some clippings on my desk recent research that has been done by the secular people, university professors and so forth, and they have come to some conclusions. Let me just read briefly those conclusions. There is no question clergy, friends, former religious training all affect the faith of young people, but no single factor is more important in the religious development of a child's life than the example set by their parents. The article goes on, a series of articles in fact, entitled Shaping the Faith of a Child. And the national poll of 503 youths between the ages of 12 and 17 declare that 70% say that the major portion of their faith has been shaped by parents. And the statistics that are here on this particular article state that seven out of ten say the greatest influence in my life and my Christian faith have been my parents. One out of ten say pastors, priests, or rabbis. But 70 to 75 percent say my greatest influence was my mom and my dad. So with that in mind this morning, I would like to take this opportunity to present to the Lord a young man by the name of Ryan James. Ryan James Cormus. I'd like Jim and Marjorie, if they would please bring him to the altar for dedication and also his family, her family, any of the relatives that are here, you come stand beside them because I'd like you to stand with them in a symbolic fashion this morning and also in prayer and in godly influence over this beautiful young man. They said to me, Pastor, he's not an infant anymore. He's a little older. I said, that's okay. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter the age. It's the act of dedicating ourselves to the Lord that is the important and significant thing today. And it is a point of dedication not just for these folk. I don't want you to be spectators to this. I don't think much that we do in the house of God ought to be a spectator sport. Do you? I think that somehow whatever is taking place we can involve ourselves and please don't just sit and watch this morning. I want you to be in prayer for Jim and Marjorie that God will bless them. This is a an open public commitment before God and before us that they determined to do their very best to live out an example before this young man that he will be able to follow them as they are following 
the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an awesome responsibility, isn't it, to realize that this life will never die. James, Brian James, will live on forever and forever and forever. We want to do our part to ensure that eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Now, you know, after you've been doing this for 30 years, you learn a few things. And I don't know if, is he going to stay with me? We're going to do this just a little bit different today. But it'll work just as well. Jesus comes to where we are so I'm going to act on his behalf this morning and come down where they are and I'm going to let mom hold him and we're going to pray all of us we're going to pray right now father I pray for Ryan James Cormus right now as we stand on this Easter Sunday morning and mom and dad bring him here grandparents uncles and aunts stand too with us and this whole church, this whole church prays together as we dedicate ourselves to the task of raising this life. Lord, I, I've been made aware and we have been made aware this morning that the greatest influence exerted upon Ryan will be his mom and dad. I pray for them right now. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to live exemplary lives. Let them be a mom and dad of prayer so that you'll see them, that the priority of the relationship with God will be clear. The priority of worship and praise will be clear. The principles and values and ethics will be clear. Father, I pray that their lives will follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and that he will follow the example they set for them. I just pray, Lord, your blessing will rest upon his life. I pray you will give gifts and develop the gifts that you've given him to the fullest possible potential. Bless him mentally, Lord. I pray that, that the fullest capacities of all of the, the gifts of, of mind will be used, not in creativity, to invent different ways of disobedience, but I pray that the creativity and the genius of this life will be used to the glory and honor and praise of Jesus Christ. I pray that the, the product of his mind will be edifying and healing and strengthening to the, to the people around him. I pray, God, that you will bless him emotionally. And I pray the joy and the peace of God will be so evident within his life and the hope that he has that people will question him. What, what's different about you, Ryan? I see something in you. Let the emotional health call attention to Christ. Lord, bless him financially, and I pray that he'll receive of the bountiful blessings of the Lord that maketh rich and adds no sorrow. And may he use what you give him, Lord, to touch the lives of those in need. And Father, spiritually most of all, I pray that 
he will come to a full and complete understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be, number one, that he'll love you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he'll be taught those principles and precepts. But more than that, he will experience for himself the risen Savior. Make him as Lord of his life. Let him be a choice vessel to reach his peers with this precious message. Should Jesus tarry, bless this home and this extended family. Keep us true to you, Lord. Add your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Give them a hand, would you please? Praise God. Before we open the word, Matt and Lisa, if you'll come this morning, please, and minister the word. i uh-huh. 
Second Corinthians chapter 5. Would you open your Bible with me there? And I don't know if you uh, feel as warm as I do. Anybody else warm in here? I tell you what we're going to do. I want you to stand while we read the word today. Stand up. That'll kind of uh, help you change your position for a moment, stretch a little bit. Second Corinthians 5, the first 10 verses. Follow along with me. Now we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, not built with human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who hath made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, and I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. Underscoring this verse 9. So, we make it our goal to please him. 
whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all... We make this our goal, to please Him. Father, I pray you'll bless this word today. Make it alive by your Spirit, for we know that the letter killeth, but it is the Spirit that gives life. And Lord, it's our desire and prayer that we would minister life to these people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. For the past eight weeks, we have shared from a theme, a very simple Bible theme centered around pleasing God. What does that mean? In fact, we talked about it being the very purpose of all creation. Revelation chapter 4 says that Jesus created all things, and for his pleasure they are and were created. So we've been examining different facets of Scripture that address that very theme of pleasing God. We come to this Resurrection Sunday this morning and we are confronted with death and after death. We're confronted with being buried and resurrection from the dead. So in a very real sense, we are identifying a very real and practical and common experience for it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And so when we examine Easter we are confronted with something very personal, something very practical, not just a historical event that we examine and celebrate but in fact we feel our own sense of mortality and the reality of that fact should Jesus tarry that all of us one day will breathe our last breath, our heart will beat its last time, and we will be ushered from time into eternity. And we look at the death of Christ and the life after death, and there are times that it's shrouded in mist and mystery, but I want you to see that in this chapter it is spoken of with knowledge and with certainty. He says, for we know, right from the very beginning of the text that I read, for we know, that is a very great assuring word. And as you read down through, there are strong words the apostle makes statements to us about. He said, we are confident. Several times, we are confident. So in this area of life and hereafter, at least the Apostle Paul speaks to us with great knowledge and with reassuring confidence. Oh, I pray. I pray for this. I prayed for this service, that, that throughout this auditorium this morning, in this great Easter service, that there will not be one of us that will not be able to join with the Apostle Paul and say, I know. You say, well, no one can know. Oh, yes, you can. I, I am living proof that you can know. I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. And I have confidence this morning that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there is in this a great deal of 
hope and assurance and confidence. And I pray that that will be the case for us this Easter Sunday morning. That you will be able to bear witness with the Apostle Paul of that very real fact. And if you're unclear, unsure, if this should be not only the last Easter that you live, but the last Sunday that you live, or the last day that you live, you can walk out of the doors of this auditorium this morning and say, it doesn't matter, because I know the best is yet to come. And I have a hope that is an anchor for my soul. It is steadfast, and it is absolutely certain. Someone has described preaching as the art of talking in someone else's sleep. And I hope that that is not the case this morning. But I do know that there is an occupational hazard for preachers called lost attention. So if I've lost your attention, the message doesn't really get through. I take a great deal of comfort from the fact that the Lord, while he was here in ministry to the multitudes, had occasions when those to whom he spoke were preoccupied and missed the message that he had to say. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, tells us of the time he was speaking to a great, huge multitude of people. Tremendous themes. If you read that chapter, you'll hear him talk about heaven. And hell, you'll hear him talk about love and forgiveness and guilt and faith and eternal principles and precepts. Halfway through his message, one of the men from the congregation made his way to the front of the line and said to him, Master, would you be a judge and divider between my brother and I over the inheritance problem that exists? Somehow, I'm not sure exactly what his difficulty was, but father perhaps had died and now the inheritance was being divided and he felt he was being cheated and he wanted Jesus to step in and intervene and be a judge and divider between he and his brother in this estate settling situation. And the Lord stepped back and he abruptly, almost rudely said to him, who made me a judge and divider between you. What he was saying was, you've missed everything I've said. You haven't heard a word I've said. You've been so preoccupied with this social, personal problem of yours that I've been talking about the most weighty things in all of time and eternity, and you haven't heard a thing. Now, he used a phrase that is used in Exodus chapter 2, when God was raising up Moses to be a leader over the people of Israel and he presented himself and they said to him, who made you a judge and divider among us? Now God had raised him up. That was his gift. That was his calling. And they were rejecting him at the moment as the man who would be able to stand in that place and resolve the issues of life for them. What Jesus was really saying to this young man who interrupted his message was, you cannot reduce me to the level of Moses. You cannot reduce me to the level of Moses who was sent by God as a, as a judge and divider between men and their social difficulties. Now the Lord was not so obtuse that he didn't know that there needed to be some social 
redress and some things needed to be solved and resolved and there are people who are who are sent and gifted and should be able to do that but Jesus was making clear that is not why I came and we need to be clear this morning about why Jesus came Jesus didn't come to make bad men good or good men better Jesus came to take dead men and make them alive that's exactly why he came he said I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly he that hath the Son hath life he that hath not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him so it's a matter of life and death the issue of Jesus this morning God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish Do you get that should not perish the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord it would be a tragedy this morning as we share with you eternal principles and precepts that you are so preoccupied with some personal social problem that you miss it <laughs> you're here in body but your mind is somewhere else <laughs> you're you're struggling with the inheritance between you and your brother you and your boss you and your employee somehow you're here in body but your mind is miles away how many know you can be here one way and really not be here <laughs> In the service, you say, well, did you go to church this morning? Oh, yes. Well, you were here physically, but maybe mentally you were on the course. <laughs> Can I suggest that you bring body and mind together this morning? And that God has something to speak to us that will make a difference. And I, I just pray that these moments will not just be more of the same but it'll be set aside and sanctified by the fact that God is here and he has something to talk to us about today. I don't know of a, of a subject that would carry more significance than time and eternity, death and after death. And what the Holy Spirit has to say to us in this particular chapter of the Word of God and to live with the peace and the hope and the certainty in a world filled with uncertainty and question not knowing what a day will bring forth the Bible says if you're wise you'll recognize that life is just like a vapor it appears and it is gone it's like a tale that's been told so quickly it comes and passes away but that's not all there is that's just the, the time part but we need to be fully aware this Easter Sunday that we are creatures of eternity God made us in his image and we will never die you will cease to live in this form in this flesh but after that the Bible says after that the judgment for we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ and so I don't know of a of a subject that is more universally common among us for it is appointed for all of us 
none of us will escape unless we are raptured by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will all one day have people gather around us, and as Tony Campola in his message that he re-preaches from his black pastor in Philadelphia say, Friday's here but Sunday's coming. <laughs> and he talks about the same theme of death and life after death. And he said, someday someone is going to preach your memorial service. There will be a group of people that will walk with your casket to the cemetery. You're going to come back to church and eat potato salad. But just as sure as your name is what you know it to be, there will come that moment. Some sooner, some later. But it is an area that we need to find out. What does God have to say? And I like the way this starts, this fifth chapter. For we know, we know, that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in the heavens, not built with human hands. Interesting way of describing the human body. Paul was his tent maker. That was his trade. And he describes the human body in those terms. And he said it is a temporary at best place to live, never meant to be a permanent dwelling. And so life as we know it was never meant to be permanent. It, was, it is transient and it's temporary. And he describes it that way. But then he says, in contrast to that, there will be a permanent place that will be forever and forever and forever. And he's speaking to the church. He's writing to the Corinthian church, a people who know the Lord and have a reason for the confidence that he has and is building in them that same confidence. So there's a presupposition here. These are people who know the Lord, who have made him the Christ of their life. And they have that knowledge and confidence that he is sharing with them and saying there's a tent in which you live. One day that will be struck. It will be taken down. It will be dissolved. And at that moment, there is a place of permanence. And so when we Look at this passage of Scripture. There is that first thing that greets us in the understanding that there is a, an exchange. There is a permanent exchange that will take place between the temporary and transcendent. I uh, picked up a book from Charles Swindoll the other day and there was a particular paragraph in the chapter that struck my attention that talks about tent living and the temporary phase of tent living and he opened that chapter by saying remember that old folks are worth a fortune they have silver in their hair they have gold in their teeth they have stones in their kidneys. They have lead in their feet. And they have gas in their stomachs. <laughs> Worth a fortune. And he writes about one elderly lady who said, this growing old business is not all as bad as I thought it would be. I've got five friends that live with me and pay attention to me every day. She said, I, I wake up first of all and there's Will. 
willpower helps me to get out of bed in the morning. And so after I've gotten up, he helps me to go see John. <laughs> and after I've seen John, as he said, then comes Arthur, Arthur Itis. And he moves me from joint to joint most of the day long, which brings me to another friend called Ben. And I have Ben Gay that helps me get through the rest of the day. So this, this growing old business isn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. I've got five friends that help me out every day that I live. It tells about another man who pastor had gone to see. And up in age, he said to him, Now, sir, don't you think it's time that you begin to think about the hereafter? He said, Oh, pastor, I do that all the time. He said, whether I'm in the kitchen or living room or in the bedroom or in the basement, I always say to myself, now what am I hereafter? <laughs> we live in a tent. Getting old, it's dilapidated. John Quincy Adams was one of our first presidents who lived to a ripe old age. History records that someone met him one day while he was out walking and said to him, John Quincy Adams, how are you? And he said, I'm very, very well, sir, thank you. He said, this old house that I'm living in is rather dilapidated. He said, the roof leaks, the foundation is unsure, the walls are crumbling, and this old tenement is almost uninhabitable. He said, I'm going to be moving out very shortly. But John Quincy Adam is very well, thank you. You see, there's a difference between the tent that you live in and the one who lives inside. This body is a tent in which we dwell, temporary, that will give way and yield to the eternal. And we need to appreciate that fact. When we do, when we really understand Scripture, it takes the fear out of that transition. I walked out onto our front porch not long ago, and there were pieces of straw strewn all around the front. We have a wreath alongside of our front door, and I, I said to Becky, I think the birds are stealing our straw to build a nest. So we swept that away. Next day the straw's back again, swept that away. Came home from the office one night and put the key in the lock. And out from that wreath, threw a bird. Right parted my hair. <laughs> and I walked over and pulled back all the straw. And there's a, there's a nest, four little blue eggs inside that nest. So we're real careful now when we go home and we open the door real easy not to disturb mom on her nest. One of these days, real soon, those eggs are going to break open and the little birds are going to emerge and they're going to soar and they're going to sing. You see, they're not going to regret the fact of that broken shell. They're not going to lament the fact that now they have no more shell to live in. 
but they have been made to sing and to soar and they're going to experience the very purpose for which they have been created by God it's important for us to know that there's a shell that we're living in the temporary tent that we have to live in at this moment one day that shell is gonna break and crack and we're gonna emerge and I'm gonna soar and I'm gonna sing I'm gonna experience the freedom and liberty of eternity hallelujah that's what Paul's talking about that's what Easter means that means that this temporary temple or dwelling place that I live in right now is gonna be laid aside and I'm going to experience the liberation and freedom of a life beyond this one that we cannot comprehend with the mind that we share now. They say that I'm growing old. I've heard them tell at times untold in language plain and bold this frail old shell in which I dwell is growing old I know full well but I am not the shell. What if my hair is turning gray? Gray hairs are honorable they say. What if my eyesight's growing dim? I still can see to follow him who sacrificed his life for me upon the cross of Calvary. What should I care if time's old prow has left its furrows in my brow? Another house, not made with hands, awaits me in the glory land. What though I falter in my walk? What though my tongue refuse to talk? I still can tread the narrow way I still can watch and praise and pray my hearing may not be as keen as in the past it might have been I still can hear my Savior say this is the way the outward man do what I can to lengthen out life's short span shall perish and return to dust as everything in nature must but the inward man the scriptures say is growing stronger every day then how can I be growing old when safe within my Savior's fold ere long my soul shall fly away and leave this tenement of clay this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise and seize the everlasting prize I'll meet you on the streets of gold and I'll prove that I'm not growing old <laughs> and every senior citizen said Amen. Not growing old. Oh, this old shell in which I dwell is growing old. I know full well. I am not the shell. Oh, I tell you, the greatest realization we can have this morning is there's a difference between who we see and who you are. There's a difference between your reputation and your character. There's a difference between your soul and your spirit. And you need to understand that part of you that is eternal that will live on and on is the most important consideration that you can have or make today there's two there's a word that's mentioned twice here in the next verse it says meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we are not found naked while we are in this tent we groan anybody been groaning you hear anybody groaning say amen they're preaching a very sound scriptural biblical message it just simply says this tent 
This temporary house is coming down. It's getting old. It's wearing thin. It's wearing out. And when you hear somebody groaning, it's a good sermon. Say amen. Amen. You groan. You groan. Being burdened. But oh, one day the shell's going to crack open and you're going to soar and sing. If you're saved. Hallelujah. And he says, I'm going to depart and be with Christ. There's that precious experience. Two verses here, 6 through 8 say, Therefore we are always confident. Oh, I, I pray for that. Lord, let that be the testimony of every person here. Therefore we are always confident, knowing as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We're confident, and I say we'd prefer to be away from the body, at home with the Lord. Wow. You know the difference, don't you? When you get saved, he comes to be with you. When you die, you go to be with him. Just a change in state. That's all. Absent from the body, but present. He said, as long as you're in the body, he'll be with you. But when you leave the body, you'll be with him. Oh, that's good. That's great. Always knowing, being confident of this. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? You may be a brilliant person, but if you don't know this, all of your brilliance won't help you the last heartbeat you take. The last breath you take won't matter how many inventions you've had, how, many, how much success you've had in life or business. It won't matter. The only thing that's going to matter at that moment, the only thing is that you know, you have confidence, that you'll be absent from the body, present with him. That's the most important thing for us to consider this Easter Sunday morning because all of us are going that route. <laughs> John Henry Newman said, fear not that your life has come to an end. Rather fear that it never has a beginning. Don't fear that your life will come to an end. Rather fear that it will never have a beginning. I mean really to live. And you hath he quickened, Ephesians says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We are all the children of wrath by disobedience. That's why we need to be born again. To be children of God. Death passed upon all men because all men have sinned. But by one man, righteousness comes to all men who put their trust and confidence in him. This is our testimony. 